I would say hardworking. You know, I, I seen my mom wake up the same time as me, work all day from what, six to four. So, I mean, I just had that ingrained in me that like, you know, nothing's ever handed to you throughout this whole time. And even when you get to the NFL, you know, nothing's handed there either. Like you gotta come into work every single day. Without my mom telling me that, you know, you gotta work hard, I could just see that. That was just the, the mindset that she had to making sure that we had food on the dinner table, the lights were on. We, during holidays, she still worked hard to give us presents or our favorite meals to eat. So I just feel like the hard grind that she did that it just kind of instilled in me to, to always work hard. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. The Postgame Podcast was designed to raise awareness of the experiences, the challenges, the successes, and the failures found in the transition out of sport. We all go through it, and at some point, there's no better way to prepare for it than to hear from those who have navigated the path. The show is real. We aren't here to glorify the transition. We're here to normalize it. We have guests from all sports with experiences at various levels. College, pro, minors, majors, NFL, NBA, NHL, overseas, and they're all at different stages in their professional growth. I've got CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are only a few years into their careers, and I also have guests who are still playing and preparing for the next steps. I can only hope that by hearing from the experiences of those who have lived it, we can help current athletes prepare better. Those who are going through it reflect on their approach and at a minimum, provide some great entertainment. I'm glad we worked our time zone discrepancies and made this thing happen. And I'm glad you got your studio lighting all set up in your house, man. Your backdrop's actually pretty awesome. Appreciate it, man. Glad to be here, bro. You know I'm a big fan of your interior design from our last call, so <laughs> we, we can talk about that separately. So look, man, obviously you've got a reputation that, that precedes this podcast, but I want you to tell everything from the beginning. How did it all start? How did you become a football player in the first place? Before that... Where were you born and what was your family life like? Well, I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota, born and raised. Four older sisters, little my mom, single parent. Dad was in and out of my life. But in the beginning, was there a lot of the time. You know, I grew up two different homes till about, till I was able to get move my mom out of her townhome when I got to the league. And uh, I mean, since third grade, my mom, We'd go outside in the snow, you know, throw me a football, throw it far and make me go and chasing and stuff like that. And I would wake up my nephew, who's two years younger than me, wake him up early in the morning and having him, you know, go out and play football with me. So that's where it all really started, you know, just playing outside as a little kid, not knowing what's coming next in the near future. So your mom was throwing you footballs. Was she your, she was your athletic mentor? Or did you have somebody at some point in your life who you were like, that's who I'm following. Well, we we had two townhomes connected to each other side by side. So there's a lot of kids around there from ages, I don't know, 8 to 18. So, you know, a lot of the guys are, you know, out there playing basketball, pick up basketball, you know, playing football out there in the field that was kind of empty close to our townhome. So if you were pretty good, you know, you got to be able to play with the older kids. So, you know, that's where I kind of learned a lot from. So you were good. I was, I was okay growing up, yeah. <laughs> was there, you started playing organized football, like like Pop Warner, Pee Wee, or it was just recreational? When did you start playing organized football? Uh, I would say third grade, fourth grade. My dad was a coach for a club called the Westside Boosters, just on the west side of uh, St. Paul. I, I was on his team, and one of the head coach, Rick Heatherston, let me be on his team, and then you know I was on his team until eighth grade. Gotcha. And so when you got to, so that's eighth grade, and when you went to high school, you've got a pretty prestigious high school when it comes to sports. Talk to me about that. Oh, so I grew up, I went to Sheridan Elementary, K through sixth grade, and then I went to Hazel Park Middle School Academy, mm -hmm. seventh and eighth grade. Then I went to Green Durham Hall High School, Arthur High School. You know, from where I'm from, you know, not too many people are going to a prestigious high school, you know, all across town. I don't even think a lot of guys even heard of it. I definitely didn't, unless it was my eighth grade coach, 
from the West Side Booster Club who told me about it, me and my uh, best friend growing up. And he said, you know, you guys should try out, you should ch guys should try to get into Korean Durham Hall. And we both look at each other like, what, what, what school is this? Our school that we were going to go to was Johnson High School. That was the neighborhood school, you know, that everyone from my area goes to. They were 7-0 and they played Cretan, uh, who were 7-0 also, uh, night game. And I was like, you know, like, I'm going to decide where I want to go to school. Because both of them are pretty good, but I never even heard of Korean Durham Hall. I just know that, you know, they're, they're a pretty good football team, mm. too. So I went to the, the high school game and Korean Durham Hall blew them out like 56-6. to I was just like... Yeah, that's where I want to go right there. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> like as a recruit, you see stuff like that and it just completely opens up your world. Like if they had, if they had not played well, right, maybe you don't go there. Good possibility. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's wild. Like the whole trajectory of your life was dependent on your exposure to this one game of Cream Durham. <laughs> so when you went to Cream Durham, did, did you have friends that followed you there? Did you have teammates you knew there? Did the rest of your friends still stay in public school? So from... I started basketball also in fifth grade. So I got to play summer league ball, AAU. So I knew a couple guys that were attending there also. Uh, but my best friend, who's from St. Paul too, uh, his name's Shady Solomon. We were on the same team on the West Side Boosters. The more standout guys, you know, from our organization over there playing Pee Wee and uh, Little League that my coach told us to go and see about this school. So we went over there together, we got into the school, and we both had pretty good, we, we did pretty good for ourselves in high school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't understate her. I think you did, you did pretty well. So when you got there, did you know that you were going to be the man in football, or is this something that kind of just happened, and then you kind of looked around, and you were like, oh, it turns out I'm, I'm pretty good? Or did you go in knowing that you were going to set all sorts of records? I had no idea, actually. I, I know at our high school that freshmen didn't play varsity football. Mm -hmm. So you had to play, you know, as a, as a freshman on the freshman team. But as soon as I got to sophomore year, you know, they had wide receivers already playing there. And, you know, I can always, I always remember, you know, how they were talking, you know, in the weight room. You, they're like, yeah, we're the starters. You know, it's going to be a good year. And me, I, I kind of just let my talking play on the field. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm not a big talker. It, it takes a lot for you to get me, to, you know, chirping at somebody. So just let them talk. And, you know, I, I worked hard in the summer. You know, I got to play as a sophomore that following year. You strike me as a pretty soft-spoken dude. I mean, we've only spoken a couple of times, but you don't seem like someone who's really excitable. Is that pretty accurate representation? Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm a little laid back and chill kind of dude. I mean... For example, you know, my, my wife, she is a big birthday party. Like, when it's your birthday, like, she goes all out. You know, I'm, I grew up, you know, everyone's saying, hey, happy birthday. You know, you get one present, there you go. She tries to get the more excitement out of me because, like, I'm just so used to, you know, just having that one gift and, oh, there you go. But now, you know, it's getting, she's getting, trying to get the more exciting might go out. So <laughs> it's, a birth, it's a birthday week. Right? Like even like it's your birthday month. 100%. <laughs> I just had my birthday last week and I was like the least excited person. And I had my fiance was like, happy birthday. And I'm getting all sorts of text messages. Like, how do people know that I'm aging? Like, I want to keep that a secret. Uh, that's hilarious. All right. So, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you watch film reel of you and, you know, your highlight videos. And there's a lot of them. And, like, you're jumping up and down. And you're yelling. You're, you know, smashing your, your helmet against other guys' helmets and stuff. And it's tough to picture you as a guy who's yelling and screaming. Do you have two, I'm not going to say different personalities, but different personas? Like, one that's more private and one that's that lives on the field? I would say, you know, the the attitude changes from on and off the field. I mean, I, I always played you know, physical and with a lot of aggression. So I I would say that, like, you know, th there's a big change. And, you know, I think that, you know, the more competitive the guy is you're going against, you know, the, the more that, you know, you want to deliver also. So especially with a big play, like, you know, that's when, you know, a lot of the emotions and the feelings come out for sure. Yeah. I mean, even for me, like when I, when I work, I'm really intense. I mean, I, st I stress. I'm, you know, I'm blowing people up. You don't pick up. I'm the double call guy, 
right? <laughs> Double call voice message in a, in a text message, even though my voicemail says, do not leave me a voicemail, just text me. But it's like you finish. That to me now is, is my field. And then when you, yeah. when you finish, like there's nothing left in the tank, right? You just want to, <laughs> you just want to chill. So I can imagine with you, that's kind of how it is. Like you just want to relax behind the scenes. Correct. I mean, I, I know growing up after every single football game that, you know, my family never, once the game was done, you know, we never really talked about football. We're just talking yeah. about family, having dinner and just, that was a good game or that was a bad game. We win or lose, but you know, now, you know, football's over with and now we can, you know, be together and, you know, have some fun. So Sure. Yeah. So when you're in, when you're in high school and you're, you know, you've got this on-field persona and you're clearly making a name for yourself, you're getting offers from pretty much everyone, right? Uh, yeah, so my coach, Andy Bischoff, he was an assistant head coach for our team at that time. He gave me a note, notebook paper and said, write down what schools you want me to send you a film to. And I'm like, okay. Well, I, I, I think I wrote down around 19, like all the biggest schools you can think of. I think my top was Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, and USC. Uh, and I got offered by all of them, plus the ones that the other ones that I put out there. But I did not get offered by USC. Which, so, like saying that now, it's kind of like, all right, whatever. But yeah, back it all, then, it all, it all worked out. Yeah, um, I had a great college career. It was it was great. But um, you know, it, it kind of stuck with me because you know that's that was during the Reggie Bush era, where like yeah. every recruit, we all wanted to you know go to that school. Uh, that was like the, the big school name, like the Alabama now. They told me to, to come in for a one-day camp if I wanted to. So I would literally have to go there for one day just to go to the camp and possibly come out there with a scholarship. So I I didn't even try to go out there and compete in, in, in a 7-on-7 seven seven or whatever. So I just told them, no, I'm okay. And I, I said to myself, I'm going to go to a school where I play them every single year. That's such a competitive mentality. How cool is that? And then the Notre Dame-SC rivalry, even to this day, even though you know Notre Dame is notoriously overrated now when SC is not that good, it's still a big rivalry game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, I think the first we beat them on my 21st birthday, my junior year, November 27th, uh, first time in the Coliseum. First time us beating them, Notre Dame beating them in 10 years. That's amazing. So, that, that, yeah. That's amazing. So, so let's we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, how how'd you decide on Notre Dame? It sounds like because they played USC and you wanted to smoke USC, that's how you decided on Notre Dame. And so, what's your circle of friends look like at this point? Is your profile changing a little bit? Are you now big man on campus? How does how does that affect you? It's crazy because you know I took the I took the city bus all the way to school every single day. Hmm. There's a thing my school provided called work study. So basically. To pay off your tuition, you had to do various different jobs around the school, even during school, which was before before school started or during the summertime, too, to pay off your tuition. So I would go, you know, take the 6 o'clock bus, get there by about 6.45, and then our job was to clean the weight room. So we had to make, because that's basically where we spent all of our time. And our assistant head coach, Andy, he gave us that specific job to me and my friend Shady to making sure that the weight room that we use all the time stayed super neat. So that was how basically how I paid off my tuition. But none of the guys who I grew up with in my neighborhood went to the same high school that I did. They went to the all uh, the public schools uh, around the area. I think three different ones that all everyone went to. So since ninth grade, I met the same, met two new guys there, but otherwise, I met the other four already from AAU basketball that I played with them before. So I met them there, and that that group has not changed to this day. So I'm I'm actually kind of lucky and blessed that you know I can have a group that I can trust and and hang out with anytime I want to. Sure. So you know that was something I envisioned us talking about a little bit later, but I'm glad you got to it now. You know you've got your top five now. That's been your top five for the past. You know. 20 years essentially and that's super valuable so are they viewing you in a different light as you're committing to go play at Notre Dame and as you're you know excelling at this private school or you're still Mike to them 
I would say 100% still, Mike. I mean, yeah. that's them other guys will keep you grounded. So during the whole high school career of, you know, playing ball and playing football and basketball, this group of guys play with me in both of them. We're all different kind of athleticism. You know, one of my good friends was a quarterback. My best friend was a running back, a linebacker, and one of them didn't even play, but mm. still my friend. You know, it's okay to have friends that, who don't play sports, by the way. <laughs> like that's something you learn later in life. It's like, oh, there's other people out there that I never interacted with. I think it's Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love yeah. it. But uh yeah, they keep me grounded. Never changed or any of the years. Uh I really I like that about that. That's great. I mean for for me it's interesting. I you know, a lot of my friends in high school were all athletes and then I had a couple that weren't. Obviously, when I went to college at Miami, I made a whole new group of friends that were all athletes. And now, after sport, really my closest friends are either people I've met after life uh, or after life in sports. I'm not that. And we don't have sports in common at all, or the people who never played sports that I knew from earlier on in my life. It feels like we can connect on just a very authentic level, whereas sports are something that's kind of circumstantial, right? Your brother's on the field because you're always reaching the same goal year after year, but you take that away and you're left with kind of raw footage, right? And if you can't connect on that level, it's, you know, are you really enhancing each other's lives? Did did you experience that at different levels? I, I think I did a little bit, but I think going off of kind of what you said, and I, I feel like, you know, you meet guys at the next level after college and they're like, you know, a good group of guys, but everyone is different in ages. You know, I, I played, I was 22 years old when I got to the league and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is, you know, 34, you know, yeah. 10, 12 years older than me. I mean, so the, the, the difference is he has a family, you know, however, whatever, how many kids, you know, girlfriend, whatever, but, you know, and I'm just a single guy with no kids and my responsibilities are nowhere near his and we're just in a different lifestyle. You know, that's, that's just how it is. You know, after football is over, no matter when, you know, I still have my group of guys where, you know, they're, everyone's doing various different jobs. And, you know, that's always good to look back on and, and see that, you know, them are the guys who, you know, are your true friends. Sure. And you've got guys that were in your, you know, your close crew growing up that now you have business relationships with as well, right? So the crazy thing is that, you know, I had a a recommendation when I got to the league for a financial advisor. I was like, okay, you know, all these guys who's been in the league for quite some time, some veterans, you know, you know, sending me this guy's name about a financial advisor. He's great. He might hear this, so maybe be careful. I had him about a year or two. (laughs) I had a dream. One night, you know, it was saying, a voice saying, hey, man, you should have your best friend. One of your best friends look at your portfolio. I did that day. I, I gave him my friend my portfolio, and he goes, yes, no, yes, no. And I said, what do you think? And I, he was like, you know, I think you should fire this dude. And that day I fired him. And I've been with my one of my closest friends ever since. That's awesome. And that's a longstanding relationship, right? Because it's easy. Yeah. By the way, like a, a financial advisor, it's like any sport. You're as good as your last game. You make one bad move and you question everything that they've ever done. So to have to have a longstanding relationship like that, just based off of initial trust outside of business and then trust in a very niche position, that says a lot about your, your judgment. Yeah, well, this guy, this, I mean, I trusted my financial advisor 100%. Yeah. But I trust my best friend who's I've been known since fifth grade, a lot more than him. So sure. I, mean, I just felt a lot more comfortable in my life now going with my best friend than having some random guy do my finances. Yeah, I get it. Look, and there's repercussions outside of the professional relationship to decisions that your friend's making too. And he, you got to know he's always taking that into account. I think that's, that was a great move, man. And I'm glad you're happy with it. But we jumped <laughs> all the way forward. Yes, we did. But I'll go back <laughs> to what you were saying. Yeah. And you were saying... So my high school is, there's about eight dudes, various different positions throughout the years that went to Notre Dame. So basically my school 
was, you know, everyone who was good in high school went to Notre Dame from my high school. So they had a good connection from there. So I went to go and visit my sophomore year with, I think, my group of guys and a couple other guys from my class. They had a camp there, a three-day camp, and I went to go and visit there. And after that three-day camp, that was my first time I got an offer. So, yeah. But there, there, there's a connection between Notre Dame and my high school that is, is very big. So. so Cream Durham, are they still a uh, still a feeder to Notre Dame? It, it's kind of different now. I mean, I don't. I, I basketball has been doing a lot better. Yeah. You know, at my high school, which is kind of heartbreaking for me to see that. And we also went down a class. So that was uh, pretty tragic too, which I didn't agree on. But you know, I guess that was the best move for our high school. So I'm agnostic to that. I'll stay. I'll stay out of it. So, so you're at Notre Dame, and you had a pretty good career at Notre Dame. Walk me through the experience as being kind of big man on campus there during that era. You know, I didn't start my first game. Yeah. Uh, there was a fifth year senior in front of me, but he got hurt. So I went in, and that play. The next play was a, a vertical route, a go route. And it was probably like a 50, 60 yard touchdown to me. And after that play, like I I never looked back. And, you know, that's when kind of when my career went off. And so when you came to campus before that game and before that play, you had your, your heart set and your, your goal set on starting as a freshman. It was no question in your mind. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, after committing there, talking to the coaches, looking at the, the depth chart, not saying that no one was good there, but I just think I had a good feeling that I could come in and help out the team in, in every way possible. So coming from, you know, you're living in townhouses, you've got a split home mostly with your with your mother. You're on work study in high school, taking the bus, having to earn your tuition, cleaning the weight room now you're on scholarship at notre dame what's that adjustment to campus life like for you my first time ever without you know no parents there me being the first person to actually go to a college like that you can't i can't go to my sisters or my mom and be like you know how was your experience you know so you know it was was kind of i was i was nervous for sure but i always feel like you know being on a team you know, you meet guys quickly and you bond with guys and it makes college a lot easier to get by. I can see how tough it is, you know, being, you know, a normal student going to Notre Dame and not knowing anybody and having to meet people that way. But, you know, being on a team, I, I, it definitely makes it a more smoother transition for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, more so with football because you got 100 guys. But for us in, in baseball, you're like given 30 people to hang out with. If you don't like a couple of them or don't get along, it's fine. But you, you at least have people that you appear in public with, right? So you're not walking around yeah. alone. It, it makes it a little bit easier. And were most of those guys coming from similar situations? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you have them guys, you know, single parent, household, you know, a lot of different, you know, everyone comes from different backgrounds. You know, I, I've had guys, you know, whose brothers got killed during mm-hmm. my time there who, you know, you know, living from house to house, you know, so it's just a lot of just different backgrounds. But I mean, you know, no, I don't think no one really cares about that. When you know, you're a friend, you're just making sure that, you know, you're having fun and, you know, everyone's doing what they got to do on the field and, you know, in the classroom also. So, yeah. And, and I like, I mean, I'll use, I'll use an analogy of the background that you have on your Zoom screen now. Like you, you've got an unbelievable Millwork, dark, it's beautiful. You've got a designer house with a bunch of restoration hardware, furniture and stuff. And like, it, it's a class, man, but you, you come from a very different background, right? And it was a meritocracy then. You had to earn your keep in everything. And just from talking to you, it sounds like it's really humbled you. And I think coming from that background, you know, I'm going to assume, I'll let you tell the rest of the story, but shaped how you approached every step out of college, through the draft, in the NFL, and in afterwards. So why don't you talk to me about how your background shaped your mindset and your approach as you went through college and became a no-brainer first-rounder? Well, first of all, I mean, 
my wife has good taste. <laughs> not really my taste, but <laughs> I, I gotta uh, send her a note. <laughs> you got no, good I, taste in women. Put it so you in, yes. inadvertently. Yeah. Yes. So I, I mean, I would say hardworking. You know, I I seen my mom. You know, wake up at the same time as me. You know, work all day from what six to four. So I mean, I just had that ingrained in me that like you know nothing's ever handed to you, you know, throughout this whole time. And even when, you know, you get to the NFL, you know, nothing's handed there either. Like, you got to come into work every single day. Without my mom telling me, you know, that, you know, you got to work hard, I, I could just see that, you know, that was just the, the mindset that she had to making sure that we had food on the dinner table, you know, the lights were on, you know, we, during, you know, holidays, you know, she still worked hard to give us presents or, you know, our favorite meals to eat. Uh, so I just feel like, you know, the hard grind that she did that you just kind of instilled in me to, to, you know, to always work hard. You know, it's interesting. Every person we've had on the show goes back to their parents and regardless of how good it looks on paper, if you've got a two parent household, a one parent household, there's some values or work ethic or some experiences with the parents that always just kind of shaped everyone's perspective. And you know, it's interesting, like you had to earn your keep to get a scholarship to school and she had to work her ass off to make sure that you guys ate, you know, and it's, the, so it just puts everything in perspective. Like if, if everything's, you know, bad and you have a bad game or you're down, think about where you're at. Like what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And I, I just think that's such a beautiful thing, man. So you're in college when do you start to realize that you're going to be a first rounder we just talked about your first play when you became a starter at what point did your mindset shift towards all right i'm going pro well to be honest i never thought i was going to stay all four years like i always mm. told myself maybe since about eighth grade because i mean going back a little bit so my dad was the coach all the way from third to eighth grade and you know one of the things he always said to me he was a big sports guy one of the things he always said to me is like, you know, you can go pro in football, Michael. You can go pro in football because he loved football. That was his favorite. And, you know, I'm just a kid like, yeah, okay, yeah. And now fast forward, you're like, wow, I, I, you know, I do have a chance to, you know, to go pro. They have different kind of certain people who run, you know, talk to about you and NFL prospects, you know, as you, you know, get older. You know, I j just had certain people in the facility, you know, that I always spoken to that, you know, just said, you know, if you, you know, do this, 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 and this, you know, you have a good chance at, you know, being a first rounder. So I listened to them and, you know, it, it all came true. And to talk about your strategy to graduate, what that meant to you and why you decided to do it within the context of the draft. I think that's important to understand. Well, I had nine credits left. I did not no one in my family has ever graduated college. So I was, a, I was the first one. And I know my mom was big on academics. Like she could care how much, you know, how well I do in sports. But like the academic side, she was, she was big on. You know, I said, you know, nine credits. You know, that's, that's just, I can easily knock that out. Graduate from one of the best colleges in the world and still have a chance at the NFL. So I kind of banked on myself, you know, not getting injured. Hopefully my dreams do come true if I stay for my senior year, and I did. I had a great year that year, injury-free, and I got to graduate from, uh, you know, one of the best colleges in the world. Also, you had Julio Jones and A.J. Green were, were your same draft year when you were a junior, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was the... That was the that That's was where the, I wanted uh, you to go with this. I didn't want to introduce yeah. that. I thought you were going to go with that. Yeah. yeah, that was a, that was you're, a you're making you're making it sound like it's all about satisfying your mom. Come on, that was a business decision yeah. I made too. Because since eighth grade, them guys have been ranked ahead of me. It was a good idea that there's no chance. I mean, from eighth grade, I mean, I don't think you're gonna jump ahead from these guys, you know. So since eighth grade, you know, they've been in front of me. So I'm like, you know what? It'll, it'll be a it'll be a good idea if I just stay one more year, because then, you know, that could you know, push me up in the draft more to be more of a high pick. 
Sure. Because uh, I think with them two in the draft, you know, I would I would be late late first round. So that's probably first or second main reason why I stayed in college. <laughs> there, there you go. It, I mean, don't don't put up a persona for the for the camera. <laughs> that was the real reason. So while you and then and then you can frame it this way. So while you haven't necessarily used your degree, you've used the first round money that you got that you wouldn't have gotten in your life. Yes. There yes, you 100%. go. Okay, so let's tie it all together. All right, so now, so you go in the first round, right? So so those guys go the year before you. You get your degree. Your mother's super happy. Your family's super proud of you. And then you get drafted in the first round by the Cardinals. How does your your life change, and who are you at this point? 22 years old, single, now getting drafted. Stay there, by the way. (laughs) Stay there, 22 years old and single, in a first round draft pick, what are you surrounded by? What's your top, all your friends that have been with you since day one, what are they like? They're, so they, they called me, actually a whole bunch of guys, I'm, at, I'm in New York for the draft, and as soon as I got picked, you know, my whole team, there was probably about eight to 10 dudes that FaceTimed me all together, they're all together in their dorm room. You know, they, they FaceTimed me and screaming and having fun, and that was just, I mean, to me, you know, that was just super exciting. I was nervous. I mean, I, I didn't even take off my jacket because, you know, I had sweat going all the way down, you know, my... Sure. Uh, my I have that now, but I just have a sweating problem. But keep going. <laughs> that too. I think I have that too. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, 22 single. Just got picked in the first round, 13th pick. Went out that night. Met a whole bunch of... Vet. That was the first time I met LaShawn McCoy, Calvin Johnson, Met Wale that night, so that was the only time I was ever starstruck. I met Wale. I was gonna say, was it Wale or was it was it Calvin Johnson and uh, Lashawn McCoy? No, it was, uh, you see them on TV. Yeah, you know, and they play your same sport. Yeah, but like you, when you see someone else that like you know is successful in something else, I mean that's when you, I think you get starstruck, and that's when I was like I, I remember shaking his hand and he knew my name, and I was like, wow, this how does this dude know my name? See, that would have been a bigger deal for me. I'm from Virginia, and Wale is like the, the hottest thing in Virginia. So I would have oh. been super starstruck. Love Wale. <laughs> how, how tall is Wale? You've got a tower over him. I would say no more than 5'7". <laughs> Isn't that wild how you see guys on a screen and you see them in person, and you're like, man, you're just like a little little human. <laughs> yes. Um, That's usually what happens. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just joning on, on Wale. I whatever it's genetics all right so you go your first night and then you got a responsibility right because you're also talking to a lot of guys who have been there so there's the guys who are recent draft picks everyone's excited it's changed their lives but now you've got to earn it you've got to make the team you got to stay on the team and not just collect the guaranteed money so talk to me you fly out every first rounder i believe or or top 20 i think you fly out the next morning the first flight out you go to your destination you know, you get to meet everybody, you know, the head coach, GM, and the owner. You get to meet everyone in the facility. And, you know, that's when, you know, it all starts. And, you know, I don't know if too many people know this, but once you start, you know, working off of the draft, they also sometimes, they say you hit a rookie wall because from college, when you're done with college, you go right into training, mm-hmm. and then you're training the whole time. So your first year as a rookie, it just seems like forever. Yeah. The crazy thing is, is at the time, Ken Wisenhunt was the head coach, and I guess he had some things that he didn't like rookies playing. So I sat until, you know, the last four games of my my rookie year. And so, I mean, you'd been through something similar at Notre Dame where you didn't start your first game, but then you had an opportunity. So are you sitting there the first game? Like, all right, this is it's just a matter of time until he lets me in and I show myself and then it just continues to go on. Or did you already, did you know? Well, the year, the year we started, my rookie year, we started four and all. And, you know, everyone on ESPN and all this is, you know, saying like, you know, the Cardinals are the, the best uh, in the NFL right now. And we lost 12 games straight. <laughs> I remember so, that, by the way. The coach was like, you know, what the hell, you know, give this rookie a chance the last four games and balled off from there. Played really well in the last four games. And then the following year, Bruce Arians came into town and now the head coach. Gotcha. 
So you balled out, so you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You got a new head coach who comes in who doesn't have this, well, A, you're not a rookie anymore, and and B, you've got a new head coach so you can get a fresh start. What's your relationship with him like? Well, he always, I know him, B.A., great dude, one of my favorite coaches that I've ever had. But one of his things is, you know, he picks a, he picks a rookie and he, he, he's, he's after him all year until you show, you know, what you're capable of to, for him to get off your back. For, you know, a few games, you know, he was all over me. But after that, you know, he came into being, you know, just a regular coach to me and super cool. So you're close with him, and are you close with others in the organization at this point? I think, I mean, position coaches, you're always kind of close to. I mean, I've, I've been lucky to have great position coaches throughout my time. I mean, usually, you know, there's a there's there's an issue, you know, between player and coach. But, you know, I didn't have that. You know, B.A., I mean, he's a player's coach, loves his guys and loves to compete, loves to, loves to win, too. So that's that's... That's always what you like to see in in your head coach. And so, what about ownership? Do you guys do you have any relationship with ownership at this point, or they're just behind the scenes and kind of like the Wizard of Oz? Behind the scenes, they peek their head out at some at sometimes, but mostly it's the GM that you know comes out to practice and seeing how things are and stuff like that. So, gotcha. And who is it? It's Bidwell. He's the he's the owner at this Bidwell's point. The owner, and then. I forgot my first uh, GM, my second one, though, with Bruce Arians was Steve Kime. Gotcha, Steve Kime. So you're having a pretty good career with them. How long are you with the Cardinals? I went five and a half years. That's a long time to be with one team, man. And so so that, you know, takes you really the the five-year mark is really your contract year. So so walk me through your contract year, and let's get into it a little bit. So they picked up my fifth year, which was eight plus million dollars, something like that. So they picked it up, and that, you know, I, I, obviously they, they're giving you that as a fifth year, but you got to show that year that you know you're capable, you know, getting a a, a big contract. Yeah. So that was basically my goal um, that year is to making sure that the consistency stayed there, and I could show that that year and get a big contract. Let's go back. So you're signing, or you sign for what is it? It's eight million guaranteed over the first five. I, I signed five, four years of the option of five for ten million dollars. Four yeah. with an option of five for ten million. So they pick yeah, up the fifth with eight million guaranteed. Then they picked up the fifth year, which gave you you know another eight million. Another eight on top of that. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and then just for people who may not know, when you say contract year, and then you have to prove at the end of your fifth year that you're ready for a big contract. What's a typical big contract look like? Yeah, I mean, it depends on how the how everyone's getting paid that year. But I mean, you know, four year, sixty seven million dollars. You know, with maybe thirty forty guaranteed. So a pretty big contract, yes. Yeah, it's pretty. Big. <laughs> yeah, regardless of what you do, that's that. that that's <laughs> How'd that year end up? It was going well, and then there was one night where you know I got in trouble with the law. I got a DUI that kind of changed a lot of things in Arizona for me. And did you have a history of alcohol abuse or partying? Like, were you a, a systematic problem? No, no, not at all. It's just just a, a dumb decision on my part. And I knew it at that point that, you know, things were going to shift in a different direction. Yeah. Was it, it was just one night out partying? We just got back from Miami. And from I the game, how that is. yeah, I and <laughs> <laughs> we just got back from Miami. You know, I went out that night and I went home, and I, and, you know, I got in the car and, and drove and got stopped, and I mean, you know, that was that was it. I wish we had spoken before that you're supposed to do all that stuff in Miami. Like, unless you've got cocaine coming out of the back of your car, they don't they don't pull you over. <laughs> but I, look, I've I've seen the video. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's out there. You know, you see the video, and it's kind of like you're in a in a different world, man. I mean, having that kind of shit out there, how did that affect you? Because the public, uh, and, and, and let me just, I obviously want to hear you, but like I looked at that video just in doing research for this. It's not something that I had seen. I just kind of heard about the incident, but you see all the comments that people write on this and like, no one knows you, man. But that kind of shit just drives the public's opinion of you and they drive their own you know, notions. What goes through your head seeing that? 
Well, me personally, I never seen the video. Um, I already knew it was it was bad. But you know, you talking about social media, and you know, people can just be super ruthless without to you without even knowing who you are. You know that 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 always comes with you know when someone's messing up. You know, you know, everyone wants to see you do good, but you know, as soon as you do something bad, man, that takes up the whole image of who you are, and a lot of people forget. But you know, it was tough to. It was tough to 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 take all that, but it's being being who I am. You know, you you have to take it and you have to go through the steps on, you know, getting over it. Yeah, and hearing you talk about it now, it's I'm not gonna say it's in it's encouraging or inspiring, but it's like you know you went through a pretty big hit, man. You take it in stride, and it looks like you're very reflective about it. Your life has turned out great as far as as far as I know. And I hate to use cliche statements, but it was really a teachable moment for yourself and it doesn't I'll let you talk about it but it seems like you're very aware of what happened at the time and the potential consequences so let's tell that story a little bit about how the rest of your career panned out so what happened immediately after uh so I we had a team meeting that following day you know obviously Bruce Arians you know spoke on to what happened that night and you know he was super uh taking back kind of and disappointed in me, you know, that, you know, I, I went through that. And so I'm thinking in my head, like, you know, I've seen this before on TV, you know, guys get, you know, suspended or whatever for X amount of games or gets fined for yeah. this happening with this organization. But I got released from the team. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever saw that coming. So that really sucked. So I was at home for about a good two or three days kind of down because I didn't, I didn't know, you know, stuff like that happens. You don't know if you're going to get picked up anymore, but I did. I got picked up by uh, New England Patriots. Which is a team that's like synonymous with picking up guys with troubled pasts, right? And it sucks that you get labeled as a guy with a troubled past now. Yeah. That, that sucks. And so you always have that, that label on you. So do you, do you approach, so, so, tell I, me. So everyone's bashing you like, you know, Man, you suck. Like, how could you do this to the team? Like, blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. And then, like, you get picked up by the best team in the NFL that year. And you know they're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, you know, people are just even more pissed that you get, you do wrong, and the best team in the NFL picks you up. And I'm just, like, super happy, excited to go out there because, like, Everything that's been, you know, keeping me down so far in the past two, three days of what occurred, you know, it's just a an, an uplifting thing for me at my in my life at the time. So I was super uh, happy about that. And so, what? How do you get that phone call? How do you find out that you're picked up? Uh, my agent tells me. Uh, so at the time, Brian Murphy uh, from Athletes First was my agent. He told me. I guess I don't know if too many people know, but agents, you know. They've been around a lot, so they have a relationship with a lot of people around different organizations, and uh, that was one of them. You know, I got he called me and told me I got picked up. They picked me up. They picked up my contract. You're gonna fly there tomorrow morning. So that's a pretty quick turn of events. Yeah. So at this yeah. at this yeah. point, and you've always it doesn't sound like you've been a guy who's just taken anything for granted. But at this point, how appreciative are you, and how does that change your approach to just showing up in the in, in a field again? I was super excited and just being able to know that, you know, there's there's someone out there or there's an organization out there that believes in me that one mistake doesn't, one night doesn't define someone's, you know, career. I really appreciate, you know, the Kraft family and, you know, you know, just Belichick, Coach Belichick, you know, taking a chance with me. And so do they sit you down, the Kraft and, the, and, and Coach Belichick, they sit you down and kind of talk about the past and what it means to bring you on, or they're just totally forward thinking? Like, hey, suit up, we want you to play. I think a little bit of both. Yeah. And also, they asked me about, you know, my legal situation, and I told them what was going on, and they offered to give me their legal team instead. So, obviously, knowing these guys and how they run their organization, you know, I automatically, without even knowing them, you know, switched from what I had to 
to their legal team because one, it's, I'm in their city and it's easy for them to communicate with me as to what's going on and me to communicate with them as to what's going on with my legal situation and get this all behind us. So what was your legal situation at the time? Nothing at all. I mean, the lawyer that was doing it, Arizona, one of the best ones, and I had to go through, you know, a whole bunch because like there's some who love the media, want everything to be out there, but I found a guy who, you know, could care less about the media and keep everything under wraps. But they were talking to the lawyer also in Boston or Foxborough about it all. So they were seeing on, you know, taking a deal because I guess I think the prosecution, you know, wanted to give me a year in jail, which, I mean, I thought that was ridiculous, obviously. Just make an example out of you. Yeah, but we got it down to to 30 days. So, yeah. All right, so you got it down to 30 days. Obviously, you still played football for the Patriots that year. Yep. Talk to me about that year. Pretty, Pretty big year. It was great. I mean, the culture in New England is just like no other. There's a reason why. You know, I can be in there for the short time that was, but like I can understand why they went so much. You know, it wasn't just the players, but like how the culture is around there. Like no one, no one really cares who you are. They just come to work every single day and get everything gets work done. So I I love that, and they had a routine where it's very structured on what you do, and I'm kind of you know a guy that loves structure. So it was a great six games there. Kind of touchdown pass from Tom Brady. You know, I don't think too many people can say that. And I won a Super Bowl that year. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, you're understating it. I was waiting for you to get to it. You came back. (laughs) (laughs) You're not doing good with me leading on these things, man. (laughs) It's it's that that mellow affect you got. But, dude, so you come back from thinking you might not play football again to winning a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Yeah. Like what a turn of events. So, and I remember I posted a picture of me with kissing Lombardi. I was like, wow, talk about a 180. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like never, <laughs> never, like of all the teams you could have gone to and of all the things that could have happened, that's like, that's the pinnacle of an alternate universe from what you were experiencing. Total opposite. It was just like, I mean, you're down in the dumps and then just, you know, a bright light shines on you where like, you know, everything is going well. So that was awesome to be in that, you know, situation at that time. So peaks and valleys, right? So you're up your first round draft pick, you're having a great five year stint with the Cardinals and then a huge valley, you get the DUI, you get cut from the team, you're home back in Minnesota. And then a huge peak, you get picked back up, you win a Super Bowl, catch a touchdown pass from Tom Brady. And then what happens after that? So after the the legal stuff got situated, you know, it it came down to 30 days in jail. Mm. So after going to winning the Super Bowl, going to the parade in Boston, two days later, you got to fly to Arizona, where I lived at the time, and you got to serve your 30 days. (laughs) And is everybody like, is there a standing ovation as you come in? I mean, do they have like a special cell for you or do they have like streamers like congratulating you on the Super Bowl? I mean, you're going to jail. Who, who special, else? Is there anyone special, else that went to jail after the Super Bowl? No, 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 no. I don't think so. Hope not. That was, yeah. So you talk about like down and ups, down and ups. I mean, that was, I was at the highest peak. And then, you know, as soon as I'm done playing, you know, you're going to jail for 30 days. He like, just won the Super Bowl. What are you doing next? I'm going to jail. <laughs> so not too many people's lives happen like that, but mine did. And you know, it's it's somewhere where you know you don't ever want to be. Yeah. And it's not a place for me. And like I knew that. I I told my mom like that was the first time I was ever scared in my life. Like hands down, being a grown man, going somewhere like that, and. You know, it's, it's, it's just scary because you watch TV, you watch movies, you see stuff that happens in there. What if someone doesn't like you and just wants to pick a fight? Yeah. You know, so uh, I think there's a lot of people in there that knew who I was just from, you know, watching TV and knowing sports and stuff that I'm not saying I had a great time in there, but there are, there are people in there that, you know, 
I mean, you were on my side, making sure everything went okay. Yeah. I mean, from what I know of jail and I haven't been there myself, you have more, more jail experience than I have, but you know, you've got a group of people who are, I think you come in more with an ego and trying to prove yourself. Right. And then as you're there, you recognize that you're only saving in this world is saving some other people. And so you want to teach them. And so I imagine you had people who saw the opportunity that you had in front of you that they didn't have, and they wanted to make sure that you didn't continue to make the same mistakes. Did you have anybody in, in jail like that? I, I can't remember anyone's name, but I 100% had a, a good handful of guys that from various different ages too, you know, just looking out for me for sure. Because I, I, I think they, they've been in there for a good amount of time and they knew, you know, the ropes about this place and just making sure that, you know, you stay on this line, you know, these 30 days will go by quick. Yeah. And uh, I did. And it seemed kind of forever because I, I never would envision my my life being in that position at that time. So. Yeah. It's like the guys have an opportunity to live vicariously through you and then see yeah. you out there and be like, I contributed to that guy's life in some way. I mean, that's yeah. that that's nice, you know, because in some way you're providing service to them. Yeah. So are you so you're released by the Patriots at this point? Yeah, that my fifth year was done. They picked up my contract from the New England and I finished my contract out with them. Okay. So you win a Super Bowl, you kiss the Lombardi trophy, you go to jail, you finish jail. Correct. And then what happens? I'm a free agent and then I get picked up. Yeah, by my home team, the Vikings. Okay. So I spent time there and it was good to be back home, you know, it's Less money coming out of my pocket flying people to Arizona or New England <laughs> to come watch me play. So I got sure. to save a couple more shekels in my pocket, home cooked meals. And that year was, it was it was pretty exciting too. I mean, we went all the way in the NFC Championship until we lost to the Eagles to get to the Super Bowl. So that was pretty good. And so did you have a relationship with the Vikings throughout your career just because they were hometown? Not me personally. I had a relationship. I had two other teammates. Harrison Smith and Kyle Rudolph that were already on the team. Gotcha. So that was very comforting. I mean, you always see people's names on TV. So, you know, when when you're on a team, people know you. You play against your friends and stuff like that. So it was good to be on that team and, and know people. So it was, it was kind of they welcomed me with open arms. That's so. great, man. And your hometown, your hometown's got to love the fact that you're back. Oh, they're super excited. You know, everyone, you know, everyone in the state of Minnesota was excited about me being back home. Yeah. That, that's a beautiful thing. Plus, you get to play in a dome, so that's kind of nice. How long are you with the Vikings, and then how does the rest of your career pan out? I was with the Vikings for a year. You know, I signed like a one year for like, I don't know, $6 million. And there's a incentives in there where like, I think it was like 40, 50 catches. Mm. You know, you get $4 million. So I look at that, and I'm just like, wow, like, awesome. Yeah. Easy money. Or 40, 50 catches. But they had their eyes on this first-round draft pick. That was not contributing, and they still let this guy play in front of me, and it, it. So I did not get my incentive. So basically, I'm playing for, you know, a million or something dollars, whatever. But like, it sucks because you know, like, you're better than this guy in front of you. But these guys are letting this dude get a more of a chance yeah. because he's a first round pick and he's a lot younger. And I'm just like. It's crazy. It's crazy how a lot of things work business-wise. It's yeah. just it's grimy, man. It's just crazy. And the way that we, you know, when we talked before, it, does, it doesn't sound like you were exposed to a lot of the, you know, being subject to the repercussions of the business aspect when you were with Arizona because you were their first-round draft pick. You were panning out. And then once your reputation was tarnished just a little bit, you became a guy that was subject to everybody else's politics. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I'm just like, it, it, it sucks that's how it is. Let, let me just caveat that by yeah. saying you're not a guy to blame other people for shit. That's not you. Nope. You're not, you don't make excuses at all. You're not a victim. No, I, did, I, I did what I did. I, I own up to it. And I don't think after, after what's all said and done, I can't blame anyone else besides myself. Yeah. So I went all through that, did a press conference, you know, spoke about it all. Because, you know, every team you go to, they're going to ask about it. Of course. It's a, it's a, it's the same answer every single time, you know. I I take full responsibility, and I did, and I I know I was in the wrong hundred percent, and 
I just wanted to get that event and time, you know, in the past and keep yeah. it in the past. So that's that's that was my intentions. Yeah, and by the way, this I don't want to make this all about that either. That's just a point on the timeline of your life that we happen to be talking about right now. That's beyond you now. So you played for the Vikings, you finished with the Vikings, then you went to the Redskins. Went to the Redskins. Yep. Uh, played a year there. I think it was did you hang out with time. Did you hang out with Wale when you were with the Redskins? I did not. I did not. So disappointing. <laughs> I stayed in Ashburn, Virginia, right with the facility is and I had a little condo there and I, I basically stayed in that area for the whole time. Like I didn't go nowhere. Like Do you never hit my, Wale up? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm like really disappointed, man. I'm sorry. I didn't know I didn't know nobody on the East Coast. So I you know people would come in town. My wife would come in town and watch me play. My daughter I would play golf. That's all I would do on my off days. Like it was, it was basically, you know, just a working year for me. Right. So, um, but I had a great time there. I mean, the season didn't go how we wanted to. A lot of injuries, but, like, I enjoyed my time there. A lot of good teammates I had there. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the Redskins always get really good players and then nothing ever materializes. I mean, it, yeah. what, what, I don't, I don't want to, like, ask about your, your take on the Redskins organization because I've been exposed to them my, my whole life. But culturally... You know, totally, totally different. It's New England here. Yeah. Like, I mean, I told you, like, they're at the top. And, like, I would probably say, you know, there's no one better than them. So you, you got a group of organizations who are just either average or, or below average. So, 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 on, a, so on a scale, so let's say that the Patriots are at the top and jail's on the bottom in terms of culture. Where do the Redskins fall between jail and the Patriots? I would put them in the middle. I would put them in the middle. <laughs> Yeah. All right. That, 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 that's that's a fair. That's a fair Because it feels like jail being a Redskins fan. I'm just saying. All right. And then and then you go to the Ravens and you close it out, right? That was your that was your last stint with the Ravens. So you know, and you're not that old at this point. How old How old are you when you're with the Ravens? Twenty eight, twenty nine, twenty. But they just drafted a twenty one year old from my school. And when I tell you, like, I had the best, like. I had the best training camp like yeah. I ever did. Like I was the best. I was the most best in shape I've ever been in my life. And so I was super shocked that they I did not make that 53-man roster. I mean, does like, it feel was, like you're just like running uphill on a treadmill? Like you just continue yeah. to perform? Can't catch a break. Can't catch a break. And I mean, me being 29 and him being 21, I mean, them having to pay me guaranteed money as to, you know, having to pay this guy, you know, chump change. Yeah. You know, there's always a strategy into all that. And like we talked about the business side of it, you know, earlier, like, you know, they're, they're always trying to not pay someone or pay somebody or not pay someone as much. So it's all a strategy thing up there when you when it's all said and done. Yeah. And so so that was it. It, it sucks, right? But you're very, you know, humble, honest, and, you know, you take ownership of stuff. So, yeah. you know, did, so the decision, you obviously didn't make the team there. Did you try and go and continue to play or you just decided to hang it up at that point and said, you know what, I'm um, done? Well, I, I always kept the door open. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love working out. I love football. Big on Peloton. Big on Peloton. Yeah. Although I did, the only time that we went up against each other, I did, I, I smoked you. I don't know if I'm, I, I'm going to say that on this. I smoked you that one time. I don't. I don't know when that was, but was, I'll, was I'll do a. Um, I'll do a video clip. I'll do a picture in picture, and I'll, <laughs> I'll show the scores just so everyone knows I'm telling the truth. Yeah. So I always keep the door open. I stay in shape. So I mean, if someone called now, you know, I, I would be ready to go. It just. It's just tough for me. Like, I'll be super fine not ever playing again right now. But it's like when I do watch football, I'm just like, wow, like I'm better than that kid there. Like. I could I could put my shoes on right now and give me a week of being in his offense and I would be better than him. Like how how am I sitting at home? But then sometimes I'm just like I'm not to me people can have this life of you know doing what I did on the field and financially and being able to be with my kids you know every single day. So uh, not to me people can say that. I mean that's got a hell of a lot of value, right? You can 
you can be there. Your, your family's not a traveling family. You've got a home yep. in your home state, in your hometown. I mean, yeah. that's got to, that's got to feel pretty good. How, how's your family responded to you being at home and full-time father? They love it. I know my kids do. However way I can help my wife, you know, with the kids. Um, she, she loves it too. Loves me being around because I just never saw myself as, I mean, I don't love football that much where I'm hopping team yeah. from year to year for five years and putting my family in a, in a bind. Like, where are we going to live? You know, my daughter's in third grade. Like, is she going to keep hopping around schools? And we're just like, nah, like, now nah, we're not going to be that family. So that, um, that's good to think about because it affects your kids too. So yeah. it, it sounds like you're in a position now where it's much less about you and more about your family. Well, it's all about my family. It has nothing Love to do that. with me anymore. <laughs> we we can't we canceled we we had to reschedule because you felt bad because your wife was with the kids all day when you were playing golf last week. Yeah, me and, being gone all day, yeah. I, I feel like it's my duty as a dad. Like you, you just gotta stop everything and be like, "Hey, man, like I'll, I'll take it from here." Because I know, like, I know my wife, and I know, like, you know, kids is you know people might not think it is, but my wife doesn't work now. But after we're done having kids, she wants to go back to work. It's great. Get a law degree. But like that's a full time job, and like when you only have two, when you only have one parent there and two kids, you know, one eighteen months and the other one eight years old, like you know, you get in all different types of personality there, and you know, it's it's tough. I couldn't do it. I told my wife, there's no chance I could do it. So we're, no. by the way, we're sitting here saying you couldn't do it tomorrow, and how tough it is for your wife right now. Keep in mind, you're in the financial position that you're in right now. You have the luxury of time right now, and it's still extremely difficult. I'm not saying it's not. Think about to where your mother was when you were growing up. I can't even imagine. Like, me being in the financial position that I'm in and her, you know, possibly getting help from the government, you know, Section 8 housing, stuff like mm-hmm. that, and just no matter what, like, and I always tell my wife this, like, I never seen my mom, like, say, like, hey, man, Michael, we're, we're, we don't have enough this week or like never. Like I always got what I wanted. I, I didn't ask for much, sure, but like we always made sure that we had what we needed. So, and you know, to put your own, to put your own feelings and thoughts and fears and anxieties aside, because shit, I, I get anxiety about stuff. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you do too. Okay. You know, everyone, everyone has them just as part of being human. I'm sure your mother had them, and for her to hide those from you and not expose you to that just so you had the best possible experience that she could provide. I mean, I, I don't know if I could do that. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Just I, I've never met your mother. Just hats off to her. But what a tremendous woman to be able to to provide you with the best possible experience, man. Yeah. And I always say, I always say this too, that with all the events that happened, the good, bad, and the ugly, and I always tell my wife this, like the, the lifestyle I was living, you know, being single, so I was 28, 29. I said, if you would have met me when I was 27 years old, you you wouldn't like me. Like, I would have no chance at you. And I always say also that, you know, if I didn't get in trouble with the law, I would have a lot more money right now, and I would have never met you. So it's kind of, you know, a blessing in disguise, 100% for me, because I don't, I honestly believe I wouldn't have found my wife if I was to you know, get that second contract because I feel like I would probably be doing the same things yeah. I was doing at 23 years old. So I think that kind of super, like it made me mature quicker and to, to think that, you know, life is a lot more than what you're doing now. And I'm super grateful for the position I'm in now. So Yeah, I, w- I was going to wrap it up with, with just gratitude and being grateful. It's like, it's a cliche thing now because everyone has means on being grateful and whatever, but it's so true. And I think to find someone who's authentically grateful for everything that's happened in their life is, it's rare. So I, you know, just commend you on that, man. It's truly been a pleasure. And I got one more thing to say. I mean, before you whatever, close anything, I forgot yeah. to tell you this story. So when I got drafted, I, the first time I went home that off season, my mom goes, hey, you have a dentist appointment. <laughs> I go, okay, whatever. Yeah, the bus comes at 1030. So get on it. <laughs> and I said, 
my, I just, I just got all this money. Like, I ain't taking no bus anymore. And she's, she's a woman who doesn't curse at all. So, you know, that when I said that, she was like, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> like, brother, this brother, like, you get your butt on that bus. And sure enough, you know, I was on that bus. You were on the bus after you got drafted? I was on the bus. I was on the bus going to get my <laughs> teeth cleaned. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> was your dentist like, the hell are you doing taking a bus, man? <laughs> it was the same bus drivers from when I was in first grade to, I mean, high school. So, like, they knew, they didn't say anything, but, like, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm back on this bus for now. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this the same Michael Floyd? Like, what's going on? That's, that's, a, great, that's a great story, man. For the, yeah. for the record, my 22, 23-year-old self probably would have gotten along with your 22 and 23-year-old self, and my fiancé would have hated that person, too. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good to be in a place of reflection and understanding how all of those experiences, huge peaks and valleys, for you have brought you to a position of just of not only gratitude but also stability. It's it's been a pleasure, man. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you got to jump, but I will. Uh, I'll see you on the Peloton, or you'll see me on the Peloton. We'll get that first and second place situated very soon. So all right, we will. <laughs> all right, then challenge accepted. That should do it. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to share with a friend, family member colleague or just listen to it over and over again don't forget to follow us on instagram it's at postgame podcast underscore or if you really have nothing to do you can feel free to follow my personal instagram it's at jonathan weislow until next time this has been the postgame podcast <laughs>